Welcome to Baking with House of Bread, and I am your host, Sheila McCann. So today I have a very special guest. Uh, Marion is the person who teaches all my baking classes. How I talked her into it, well, she had taken all my baking classes, and I have a series, and she ended up starting to help the other students in the class. <laughs> and so, and she's really was good with them, and so I knew that she would be a good teacher. And she also had a lot of formal training, you know, something that I didn't have. I think I just asked her if she'd like to do it. <laughs> and she agreed and, um, and she actually improved it. She had a little bit different system and so it was nice uh, having someone to take those over. Marianne, welcome to Baking with House of Bread. Thanks, Sheila. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about your, edu- your baking education that you have. Well, uh, besides you teaching the classes, I've taken time to do some of the uh, intensive classes through King Arthur Flower. Uh, They have their, uh, their main school is in Vermont, and they also have an outshoot in Washington, in Burlington in Washington. I've done several of their, like I said, extensive classes, and you go for a week, and they have different topics that they do. So that's some of my more formal training and actually you get certificate. Uh, and otherwise it's just a lot of baking at home, a lot of practicing at home. And How did you first start baking? I started baking when I was young with my mom and it's just always been something I enjoy doing. But I think really it started because I love to eat it. <laughs> I, yeah, sure. I really enjoy <laughs> As my, you know, one of the taglines, it's, risen from the the love of baked goods so since I love eating them I started baking them more and going to different places and seeing how they make it and and going to different bakeries and different places and so I thought well I really like this why don't I start baking more at home and do my own things and experimenting and coming up with recipes and and I just jump at the chance to do any type of classes at especially at a bakery I love coming in, in in the bakery uh, with you, Sheila, and also different places. I've gone in up uh, in San Francisco. There's a place uh, that, you know, whenever someplace offers a class, I like to go and see what they do. Sure. But we also recruited Marion during our uh, dinner roll season. So Thanksgiving, <laughs> I'm not kidding, we get like whatever it is, 10,000 dinner rolls on order. <laughs> it's so <laughs> so Marion's like, well, I'll come in. So sure enough, she was there. And I think after a thousand dinner rolls later, <laughs> she got she had it down pretty good. <laughs> I love doing rolls, actually. It's very meditative. So I, I enjoy that, that process. <laughs> so you took your baking to another level. So not only did you um, earn income from teaching the baking classes um, for me, but you also got your cottage license. Yes. And so tell us a little bit about how you went about uh, getting your license, just the process and the, um, the cost, how long, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think because I decided I had a lot of people asking me to make things for them, and which I was happy to do, but I finally and quickly realized is that it starts to cost you a lot of money. <laughs> right, and, <laughs> and time. It, and time. <laughs> I thought, well, if I'm really going to do this and be let's say, you know, be at least cover things that the good way to do it and to be legal 
Sure. Especially, you know, in the county we're in, they're very particular um, that I should really get permitted. I started a couple of years ago considering it and actually, you know, I'm, I'm at home, I've got a husband and a daughter and so there was, I had to take that into account. And when you're working from your house, it, it really can change the dynamics a bit. So I had to figure that out. but. I decided, well, let's give it a try. So I. The, so before then, you were you were just giving away, you're baking your products and then giving it away. Yeah, but then people would give me, you know, they'd start realizing they were like, oh, we don't want you to right. spend all your your money on it. They would start to give me money, and I thought, well, now we're getting into a gray area here sure. where they're actually paying you for your products. Did you put a price on it, or did not you just at wait first? For so it was kind of more friends and family. Friends and family, yeah, right? I think that's how most people start. Right. Right. And then it stops being so much fun, right? <laughs> <laughs> or did it? <laughs> yeah, it does a bit. It does, because it does start turning into more of a business. And then you have to kind of treat it like that, you know, if depending. Oh, then someone asks you to make 100 decorated cookies or something, and you're like, oh, boy, this is going to take a while. And, you know, it takes a whole different skill set, you know. So you have to kind of decide, what is my skill set? What can I do? What am I good at? The whole process then, that's when I started to, to decide, well, let me look into the per permitting process and see what actually it entails. And there are a lot of details. It's, it's, uh, and I guess it varies from probably county to county. It Our, actually varies from state to state. To state to mo state. Most states now do have cottage license. Okay. Okay. Because um, I know some are very, like they're, right. they are very, you know, strict about it and, and what you can bake. There's only certain... Certain items you can do under the, what's called a cottage kitchen permit. Um, is that through the health department thing? It's through the health department. Okay. But it is on the government, the Slow County government page. I think it's slowcounty.ca.gov. So it's on that page, but all the permitting, there's two kinds of per cottage kitchen permits uh, that you can get. There's an A and a B. The uh, A permit is a direct sales and then the B permit is you can do direct and indirect. So meaning- So what would be indirect? In, indirect is more if you're doing like a wholesale, which is kind of more what I'm ending up doing right now is that I'm doing, uh, I'm providing a product that then I'm not selling directly. The person, like the shop, one of the places is a coffee shop. They're selling okay. it at their shop. I'm not, I don't have the hands on. So they pay me. Um, one of the other places is at a corner market. But then I also do some direct sales too, still with the people who are kind of the friends and family sure. who ask me or, hey, can I get 24 English muffins? So what, um, what permit did you end up getting? I got the B because I wanted to have the flexibility. It costs sure. more money. So like how much did it cost? It costs, it's... Well, I, I recently checked because it has gone up. Permit itself is almost, it's close to $300 per year. And that's and so every year you have to pay that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then with the B permit, which is the one I have, you are inspected every year. They send out one of their agents and they come and inspect your kitchen. And so the difference commercially is my permit is actually around, it's not that much more. It's around $450 for a whole year, but I don't know when they're coming. So they do inspect okay. me, but you don't know when they're coming. So okay. I imagine at your house, they, <laughs> you know, they have to, they, they set up an appointment. Okay, so that's nice. They set up an appointment. But they do give, they do have the caveat in their uh, paper. It says if they get any complaints, they can come and inspect anytime they want. 
So if for some reason someone has a problem with one of your products. Interesting. And they report you, they can come anytime. And that's along with the A permit too. But with the class, the A class one, they don't technically come and inspect you. Um, you have to follow guidelines and provide a checklist and everything, but really it's... So did you have to change your kitchen at all to um, pass their permitting process? No, I actually have a fairly decent sized kitchen and I've always been very maniacal about how I keep my kitchen and, and the cleaning levels and where I put things. And they do require that you keep things separate from your home cooking and your, your use. So you have to really plan out your day so that you're not cooking at the same time as you are doing family. I see. Things. So they, so it's not you have you don't have to have your equipment separate. It's so, just they want the baking process to be separate from when you're cooking. Pretty. That's more of it. But I guess for myself, I try to keep baking my baking supplies separate, and I do have a roller cart that is a uh, like proofing cart or where you cool your things and I store a lot of my things on that and the channel wraps the channel yeah Yeah. so then I can take that out of the house because there's the issue with animals if you have pets and things like that there can't be any pets in the area I mean there's sure there's their whole whole list of of requirements that you need to so was it um did you have to invest in anything to um comply with their requirements or was it just more of setting up things and organizing it differently it's more setting setting up, uh, unless, you know, that's the other thing, though. But I did buy not so much large equipment items, but I've, you know, considered a different mixer because you really put a lot of wear and tear on your home equipment, uh, which is not really used. It's not designed for commercial use. You know, it's used for those occasional times when you, you are making cookies and things like that. But you So know, what kind of mixer do you have? I have a KitchenAid like six quart mixer right now. Okay. So, you know, it, it takes longer. You know, you realize, you start realizing when you're doing bulk items that it takes it takes longer. So you do start to consider, well, maybe I should invest in a larger mixer or something that's a sure. little more, but then you have to consider what that's going to do in your house. You know? sure, <laughs> I'm going to sure. have this huge item sitting. <laughs> well, I have a six foot mixer. I don't think you need that big, but they do make 20 quart full bars, which might work for you. Um, but yeah, so then, I mean, sometimes they require different electrical too. So mm. um, so how about your ovens? I have two home ovens. They're a German brand. Uh, Viking? They're a Gagano. They're oh. called Gagano, uh, which they have. The reason we had got those is they have, they have cooking stones on the bottom that has a heating element. Do you do artisan? Like to do, do, is that for artisan brands? I do sometimes, yeah. Especially if I'm doing baguettes, mm-hmm. I can use those for baguettes. The hard thing is, you know, you really want to be able to make that steam in your oven. And a lot of these, you know, home ovens just don't have that capability because it's different than a steam oven. Yes. You need an injection steam oven. And those are really just more commercial grade. So that's the trick is devising ways to introduce this steam for that artisan style bread. Uh, although I don't sell breads typically. Um, under my cottage kitchen permit, I do it. Why is that? You tell them go to House of Bread, is that it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> go to where they can make 100 loaves. 100 loaves. I, I do enjoy it. I love that process. But to be able to really 
cover the costs and even make money on it, you'd have to be able to produce a fairly large amount of bread. And unless you have those type of uh, ovens that you could really do that, it does make it difficult. So I do more cookies and scones and uh, I do do English muffins, but that's nice because I don't do them uh, in the oven. I actually do them on a griddle. So. Sure. So you do your yeah. sourdough because I, I she do. teaches a sourdough class and then she came up with a new recipe to give them the uh, sourdough English muffins with a discard. Yeah. So I don't know if you noticed that we started selling sourdough English muffins. There you go. Yeah. So thanks. <laughs> so Mary gave me a big tip that they were really popular. <laughs> they are popular. Yeah. Yeah. And those are a little easier because I said that's done on a for myself. I can do it in the griddle. You could do them in the oven. But if I'm doing a large amount, then at least I, I have these griddles I can just put on the counter and and do those. So, how much income are you making, like on average per week, from your cottage license now? I have a, just a couple accounts. I keep it fairly simple right now because uh, other that's one of the things you got to know your limit. You know, sure, you got to know your limit and how much time you want to put in. So right now I have a couple accounts that I bake for each week, and usually it's around four or five hundred, maybe. Sure. Yeah. Oh, that's actually substantial. Yeah. And yeah. So not us. counting all the costs. I mean, that's I'm not right. That's taking your gross. That right. Yeah. That's right. Tell us about the two accounts you have. So the one account is a coffee shop in town that I do cookies and scones for. Um, do you have to deliver it? I deliver it. What so time that's did, another what time. time. <laughs> oh, I'm up early. I'm up at five o'clock baking. Okay. And getting it to them by eight o'clock. Okay. So oh, I thought you were going to say even earlier. No. Well, for, you got to figure travel time in and I try to get there by that time. So sometimes it's How many a days a week do they want it? I do it two days a week for them. And then usually I do two days for a, it's kind of a, it's a market. It's a corner market uh, that has a fresh air market that's only opened uh, Friday through Sunday. And I bring packaged goods. Cause that's the other thing is if you're gonna cook under the cottage kitchen permit, they require you have specific packaging and well, not so much the packaging, but the labeling is very specific what's on the label. And they're pretty sticky about that. So you got to have, and they will, they will inspect that. They want to approve your labeling and packaging. So they also, do they have to have weights and measures? On it that? has to have, it has to have the weight. You don't necessarily have, you have to have the ingredients, but you don't have to have the ingredients um, label where you're showing the amount of salt or uh, the, nutrition, the breakdown. nutritional breakdown, unless you are claiming that there's some health benefit, you that's you got to be careful about that with, with under the cottage kitchen permit. So then, how about saying like all natural? Do you have to put anything else? No, that I, because I, even on mine, I try to use whatever natural and organic ingredients I can. And I do put that on there, but I say when possible. Sure. To use, yeah. I can't, yeah. And then you list the ingredients. You list the ingredients kind of in the order that you use it as kind of most products would. And so when she says that, what she means, so for example, it's the greatest volume, like in a loaf of bread, it's going to be your flour. So that should be first. And then in, you add ingredients, um, the next largest item you're adding to the recipe. And then you end with usually it's salt and yeast, which is very small. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. That's the, one of the main things is that you have it. How, so that, that makes it a little more challenging when you are selling to someone who then is turning around and, and using it as a product. But as long as you have your labels and as long as, let's say, the owner of the shop, let's say where they're selling them not packaged, as long as people are aware that the items were made in a home kitchen. So you have to tell them that as well? Well, it's on your label. So that has to be specified on your label that it's made in a home kitchen. You have your license number on there and everything. And the people where they are usually, they kind of get a following, you know, especially in a coffee shop, they're coming in and having their coffees and they'll ask, oh gosh, who does your baking or whatever, who does your, and they'll say, oh, you know, oh, Setting Point Kitchen makes it, she's a cottage kitchen license person. So they usually, if someone asks, they will say it. How did you create your first labels then? It's a process. Uh, I just did a lot of experimenting. I did it online. Um, There's a lot of sites that you can use. I'm not very tech savvy, so (laughs) (laughs) for me, for someone else, it might be very easy. so, so what we use here, because I do have a label company that I'll get a large, large volume labels from, but we also use a program that it's free. It's called Avery. So Avery labels. And then there's a number associated with every, those sticky labels you buy and you can buy it anywhere. And if you look at them from, you know, from Staples or Office Depot, it has that Avery number associated with, and that's the template you use at Avery.com. So yeah, so that's a free program. So it's that, not a bad one to check out. Yeah, that would be good. Because you, you quickly realize that your packaging costs, which are required under the permit, and labeling and, and all that definitely adds up. I mean, it adds on to your product. And when sure. you're trying to figure out pricing, you know, makes it, it makes a difference. How do you figure out pricing? Yeah, it's a tricky, it is tricky because if you really put in your time, if you calculate your ingredients, your time, uh, the packaging and your all your permitting and you know all those costs uh, that you've in, incurred. Um, it's hard because <laughs> you might be you know selling a cookie for five dollars, which most people are not going to pay. So right. there is some that you have to try and figure out how to do you know try, charge what the market will bear, so to say that you're sure. going to actually. Sure. So a lot of times you have to realize, you know, I use this as a platform. I'm not, I'm not making that much money, but I enjoy baking, and it's a platform to me to to experiment. Sure. So you're you're kind of having fun too at yeah. five, 5 a.m. <laughs> I'm an early riser, but yeah, uh, yeah, it is fun because I like to experiment, and I they I've been lucky enough to find a few people that actually. They like it when I bring in new flavors and it's kind of new what's going to be this week. And sure. So, yeah. So, so give us an idea of like what you do charge. Like what do you charge wholesale for your scones? So for the scones, I do basically uh, $2.50 a scone. That's pretty good. Yeah. And then they, they mark up the amount they want to mark up. What do they sell for? Do you know? Um, probably around, I think they put another dot, like three, probably 350. Yeah. On those. Yeah. Now the cookies, the cookies are a little different story because when I sell them, I sell them in bags. I do bags of the cookies. Um, 
So those I will sell to them for $9 and then they mark it up maybe a couple dollars. But And so do you guarantee sales at all? In other words, like if, if their scones or cookies don't sell, do you have to give them credit or anything? I, I don't. Good. I Good. Don't. I'm happy to hear that. Because <laughs> if you look at it this way, that coffee shop's not really taking any risk. And they don't have to hire the people. They don't have to order, take inventory on those ingredients. There's no waste. The only thing I can say is make sure you're charging enough. Because mm. I think often people, oh, they're, especially when they first start getting into it, to selling yeah. baked goods, and, and you start selling to friends and family, yeah. you know, it's just uncomfortable. So, yeah, so that's what I would just make sure they're going to pay. Cause, and I, you know, even at a commercial level, I've done this so many times where I was undercharging. And uh, and so now I'm like, well, this is my, this is my price. You either... <laughs> Either take it or leave it. I mean, not <laughs> yeah, to quite say it like that, but that's what I'm thinking. Is like, and then I'll even try to refer them to like, oh no, there's wholesale bakeries in town. Why don't you go over there? And that is a challenge. That's a tricky thing because that was one of the things. Know your price because people will try to get you to do it for less too. How so, do you, how do you then, handle that? Because I, I, I'm just thinking you're so nice, Marion. I just can't see you saying, forget it. I've, I've gotten better. Okay, I've good. gotten better at telling people I really can't do that. The amount, and you almost, I, it's almost ridiculous that you have to explain to someone. I think they just don't understand the time that, that goes into it. And ingredients have gone up. I'm telling you, I had the last, over the pandemic, you know, it's ingredients and the supply, getting yes, supplies. Yes, they have. Yeah, I, that, that was the hard thing is because I've been, you know, grappling with, increasing prices because everything costs more. So that's something too, you gotta tell them all oh, things have gone up. And they should know that. I think, actually I just raised my prices as well because it's nice that there's news stories about it. So we're getting a lot of publicity talking about the price increases um, and that and labor costs have gone up. And so, yeah, so I would definitely the timing and then they should be aware of that. If they're not, then they, you know, then they need to become aware of it. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And then especially when you're doing these, the, the, the permit, I mean, if you're considering between you're debating, okay, do I actually start a, a bakery? I mean, it was just a huge expense or do I start out at home, which the cottage kitchen permit is good for that because it gives you that opportunity to really test it out and see if this is something I really like to do or want to do. And do people like my products and uh, what feedback do you get? But there is expense to it. And, and I don't know about other cottage kitchen permits, but, you know, you really, there is a liability too. So, you know, you've got to have everything separate. I mean, you, because you, you're paying income, you know, you're going to be taxed. You're going to, you have to treat it. It is a business and you keep do you things have a, separate. Um, sole proprietorship? It's a, I'm Basically, it's a limited liability, like an LL. So how much do you pay for that? Well, that's expensive. That's $800 a year. Yeah, and, and every year. Yeah, every year. Yeah. Every year. So I don't know how many people actually do that. Talked with my family, with my husband, who is in business, to protect yourself and reduce your liability. Because things, people can, you know, they might, something could happen. You're working with food. You really need to be able to protect yourself and especially your home because your home is connected to your, sure. your business. But yeah, and you need to keep things separate. You need to run it as a business and, and 
keep your books and what you're putting in, all your expenses, you know, all the food and have it in a separate spreadsheet. Do you have um, insurance as well? The insurance through the business, the um, company, yeah, we we hold on to the insurance. I don't know how much we end up paying for for that, but. First of all, I think it's a great program. I'm so happy to see these cottage licenses because like you said, it can be a great stepping stone. And there's so much, uh, you know, it's one thing to know how to bake, but it's completely separate when it becomes a baking business. And so the cottage license can be just great uh, opportunity to hone your skills from everything from pricing to, you know, organizing your inventory and whatnot. But I really think though, if you really want to make a living at it, you've got to get volume. And those volumes, how you make money. And then people... They're going to compare yourself to the price they're paying at Costco. You know, I get that. You want like a Costco muffin price? I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. I'm not Costco. <laughs> you know, so yeah. and I think as a small supplier or producer um, is to try to go after, you know, the high mar- gross margins um, and charge and charge more for it. And I know that you've got beautiful products. You know, there's no yeah. doubt in my mind. Yeah. So. Well, thank you. So tell us about the bread. Why... Have you tried tried selling the bread at all, or what happened with that? I've done baguettes. I have sold some baguettes, and especially if someone has a special order and they say, oh, I'm having a dinner party, I want, could I get seven seven baguettes, like a French-style baguette? And so I will do that because I can, within my oven, I can actually, I can produce that amount in a reasonable amount of time. What do you charge for them? Those I do $7.00. Seven dollars each. Uh huh. Oh, good for you, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's a good price, and I'm happy to hear she's. Yeah. And I'm sure there were seven dollars. They're they're a good they're a good product. I, I bet not they to like too much more, but I feel they're a very good product. They're an artisan style. Um, and they're about a pound. About your traditional baguette size. They're each one is. I think 300, I think I do it at 320 grams. So I do a lot of my, my things by grams. So the dough, so when I figure it out, each one is about 320, which is going to be one of my things I would tell people, if you're going to start doing it, one of your main things, you got a digital scale. <laughs> you just got to have a digital scale. Because uh, that keeps it consistent. Consistent. Well. And it helps you when you're scaling up your recipes. Because dealing in also grams, it, it really helps. Because most recipes you start, you're doing one batch or two batches. But if you really want to start doing more, you need to do it four times, you know, really to get more. So doing it that way and having a scale and scaling it up in grams really helps to, to do sure. that for you. And Because you do need to keep track of your recipes. Uh, the permit does also require initially that you send in your ingredient lists and everything too. So I found it sometimes we'll take a recipe, um, you know, whatever, I'll discover a recipe that looks good to me and it will produce like whatever, two loaves of bread. And I need to get it to 20 loaves of bread. So I go through that same process, but then I also find that it changes dynamics Mm -hmm. of it. So it's not an exact multiplication process. And so sometimes the bigger volume, whatever affects the proportions and so I've adjusted them too. Have yeah, you- well that I haven't because I haven't done to that level. I think if it's two, three, four times you're okay. I think once you get over that amount, then you do start really 
changing the recipe. Something changes, like you're saying. For you, you've got a volume where you're doing, like, how many loaves are you making from a rest? So it's, that really changes, so. Yes, and I was surprised at that. Um, so I went back and checked my math. <laughs> and then I realized, no, my math is right. Just something changed. I don't know what, can't tell you why, but uh, yeah. So then I ended up adding in um, whatever. I generally try to add in a little more flavor, whether it be vanilla or I don't know, whatever, chocolate chips or whatever you're getting your flavor from. Yeah. Put so. that in. Yeah. With breads, though, it's probably, it must be hard with breads, though, too, when you start scaling up. Yeah. So I find this in the breads, it's, you generally, the bigger, um, I will also decrease the amount of yeast sometimes because the bigger masses is going to produce more heat and then they're going to, you know, proof quicker and whatnot. Okay. So. Yeah, that makes sense. So what um, would you tell somebody who was, you know, it's an avid home baker and they're thinking about, Oh, getting their cottage license and dipping in. Is there anything that you wish somebody would have told you in the beginning? It's a good question. I, I just think you got to be able, you know, to, it is to have fun, you know, so it's something that it's a process and journey. And I feel that if you really enjoy it and you like doing it, it, it is a good way to see, like she was saying, if you want to kind of take it to the next level to see if it's something you want to do. So it is a good stepping stone. And I always say, I'm a really good home baker. I'm a really good small batch baker. Well, actually, <laughs> yeah, I've seen you pump out thousand dinner rolls, so you can do it. <laughs> but I mean, more it's it's to have fun because I think, as Sheila had mentioned before, sometimes when it starts to get where, when it's not fun, when they people really, you know, they are expecting it there at a certain time and a certain level of product and they want it. So it is, it becomes more of a, of a business. But it's, it's a little more stressful. Yeah. So it, you can give people products and they generally are accepting whatever you give them. But once they start paying money for it, they, their expectations change mm -hmm. and, and it should. I mean, it might be the same way, so. Yeah, yeah. And know your limit, really. That's for me, it's, I know having a couple accounts right now is okay for me with still having a daughter at home and helping take care of my mother, it, it allows me to still have that time. So I really limit what I do. Like I said, if you're gonna make a living at it, you really have to realize that you're gonna be working a lot of hours to, to do that. For me, like I said, it gives me a platform to um, stay what I, I like to do and keep my kind of, sure. you know, keep, keep me involved in the business that I've ended up really enjoying. Well, it seems to, it pays for your hobby. So yes. Baking is a passion and a hobby for you. And then at least you're able to sell enough to, you know, come get something back. Yeah. And I do, I look at it too, is because then I'm able to, which once classes start up again, where I take classes, it helps actually pay for some of my classes. So if I'm sure. going to do something related to my business, that's something I can take care of through my business because it's, it's helping me improve my, my yeah. product. So, yeah. uh, usually you can write once, it all I can write. So, yeah. so, so once a year, I usually take a trip to one of, and do one of the extensive courses and it, it helps with that. So that's one of my, the ways I look and also considering, but you know, some new baking products too. Like I considering getting a new, you know, I guess a new Dutch oven is what they're more like a Dutch oven, but there's different styles. And, you know, more recently I'm considering 
getting one of those. So yeah, it's kind of fun. It helps you at least, like you say, pay for pay for that. Well, I'm happy to see it. And I think the other thing is always to remember that there's more to doing something that you love other than for money. So I guess what I mean by that, there's a quality of life. And so I mean, overall, that's what we want. We want a high quality life. You're selling your baked goods and you're you're paying for your hobby and your travels to wherever for your classes. I mean, I think that's great. Yeah. And she's going to come back and teach my fall baking classes. <laughs> so after this podcast, yeah. we're going to iron out a schedule in September. <laughs> so if you are in the area of San Luis Obispo, check out uh, houseofbread.com and find out when Marion will be teaching them. Well, thank you, Marion, oh, and everybody thanks. else out there. Happy baking. <laughs>